on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. We'll take a shot downfield. And it is held in by Bryce Bobo. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brukop to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. There's a snap. snap. It's by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose, and it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to the four-yard line. A turnover, and the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Buff Stampede radio is brought to you again this week by Gorman Recruiting. Gorman Recruiting specializes in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. They are dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you are hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at gormanrecruiting.com. Tyler, last week's show was titled, uh, Is It Must Win Time for CU? And now, at this point, it's clear that their backs are against the wall. Yeah, uh, you know, losing a home game to Arizona is not really great for your <laughs> division aspirations or even a bowl game. So uh, that was rough. Uh, definitely wasn't the way I thought the game was going to go. When uh, you know, in this final score and also in how we got there, um, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem like we stopped them at any point all night. I don't remember anyone making a tackle honestly in the game. Uh, I'm sure that did happen at some point, but it was a frustrating one to watch for sure. I mean, it's. Sad that we've been begging the offense to get going this whole time. They finally have a great performance. And honestly, while watching the game, it was just like, well, this doesn't matter because we're going to give up seven points in about four seconds anyway. So, you know, Mike McIntyre admitted that I think it was about, I think he said Khalil Tate's third series where they couldn't tackle him, that he was basically like, it's four down territory every time on offense because we can't stop that kid. It was almost. It's really rare to hear a coach like actually say that they're raising the white flag and, and basically surrendering yeah. defensively. So let, let's talk a little bit about Khalil Tate's performance. He set, of course, an FBS record for quarterbacks with 327 rushing yards. It was also 12 of 13 passing. It was pretty phenomenal. If you had to put a percentage on it, how much of it was Khalil Tate just being in the zone and how much of it was CU just playing bad defense? I mean, Cleo Tate would be the starter if he was that, that good or people thought he was that good, don't you think? Um, so, I mean, a lot of it has to do with our defense. Obviously, we didn't make any adjustments. We've got undersized guys in a 3-4 alignment, which is never a smart decision. Um, it's worked out okay for us, but, I mean, they just haven't made any adjustments there, and people are starting to figure it out that we're getting pushed off the line. Javier Edwards obviously got hurt in this game, no Lyle Tuiloma. Edwards is obviously getting tired with no Lyle the whole game. I mean, those two guys being out is pretty much a death sentence for this defense. 
Rich Rodriguez said that Tate lost 15 to 20 pounds, and he was quoted as saying, that's as fast as I've seen Khalil run. He also said, that was the best I've seen him in practice or the games. Uh, so that's clearly the reason why he wasn't the starter. He wasn't showing anything like that in practice. He's going to go up against well, I mean, what is he going to say? That he was showing that and he's still right. sad. That's true. That's true. <laughs> good, good point there. But Tate's going to go up against UCLA's defense. They rank 128th out of 129 FBS programs in rushing defense. Right. And UCLA is somehow ranked or uh, favored on the road in this game. So that's kind of interesting to me. I have a feeling he has the potential to blow up again this upcoming week. So that'll be interesting. I mean, it's just crazy because I feel like wasn't he the same quarterback that came in two years ago? And crushed us in the second half. We blew a big lead to Arizona down the stretch. Uh, no, that was uh, Jared, Jared Randall. We've, we've had bad luck with Arizona backups. Definitely. One way or the other. Well, certainly the defense deserves criticism. And DJ Elliott's the coordinator, so he's lumped in with that. But people forget that Jim Levitt in his first year gave up even more yards to Arizona to your point uh, against a dual threat quarterback. So yeah. it's not the first time we've seen that. No, so. it's not. <laughs> So what would have happened on Saturday if, if Dawkins doesn't get hurt? I don't know. I mean, they were moving the ball well before he got hurt, too. I, I don't know, to be honest. Like, I don't see enough of Dawkins to really say, but it certainly didn't look like the defense showed up ready to go. Well, I would make the prediction they at least stopped them once during the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dawkins is the quarterback. Yeah, I suppose. Hopefully that's true. This is the most perplexing team I've covered in 15 years, uh, partly because early in the season – the offense was supposed to be a strength that wasn't. The defense was playing much better. Um, and now you have kind of a flip in the last game. Um, the offensive line was supposed to be a lot better than it was. It's just nothing about this team that we thought was going to be the case has really panned out that yeah, way. Yeah, well, that'll happen when you don't get any access to the team. So <laughs> it would have been nice to be able to actually look for ourselves and make determinations. But, uh, you know, I, that's, I think that's probably my biggest frustration right now is he didn't – this program didn't really give its fan base any attempt to get to know the team or have any connection with the team and now they're struggling so I think that's going to come back to bite them in the ass because uh, it's not just me I've had a lot of people say there's been less interest in this season coming off a huge year than in years past just because there was no connection to the team aside from Philip Lindsay and Isaiah Oliver there's really no consistency anywhere on this team, is there? Yeah. I mean, and even Isaiah Oliver, I mean, he played well last week, but it's probably his worst performance of the year. Um, I mean, I think he's still going to be a guy who probably ends up leaving early. He's been that good, but yeah, it's been a frustrating year. And then you look back to last year a little bit and see you got a lot of breaks. Mm -hmm. For instance, when they played Arizona, they had been, they were decimated with injuries at that point. When Arizona State came to Boulder, they were they had quarterback issues. Obviously, uh, they get UCLA in Boulder on a Thursday night after a bye week. This year, you don't have your bye week until right. the second to last week of the season, um, and you know certain bad breaks as well. The Bobo holding call in the UCLA game. I mean, Khalil Tate just randomly having a, a performance for the ages. Really, you've got some attrition on defense you weren't expecting with the, the nose tackles going down, suspensions, Frank Umu. NJ Follow, Anthony Joel Meese. There's been a lot. It's like last season, almost everything seemed to go the right way, and it's right. going the other direction this year. Yeah, it definitely had some tough breaks this year. I mean, it's hard to really, you know, it, you could easily be 5-1 and one if a few things go your way. I mean, you lose a game by three points. You lost, obviously, a close game to UCLA the week before. Like, it's not 
the world's really not crashing, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're 0-3 in conference play, and everybody else in your division has at least one win. So, I mean, they're pretty much done three weeks into conference play. That's tough, but that's – I've talked about this all the time. Football is simple, um, and this is what happens if things don't go your way. Yeah. I've seen the argument made that their non-conference schedule wasn't right. tough enough to get them ready for this. And, and there, there is a point to be made there. Obviously, as we've said many times, that they wanted to play Arizona State and Oregon in terms of non-conference when they were in the Big 12, so they scheduled those futures. And they couldn't scheduling Power 5 teams um, because those are scheduled so far out once they join the Pac-12. But on the other hand, I could make the argument – you're lucky you schedule easy because you got three wins and you still can talk about bowl games at this point. Had they scheduled tougher opponents, given the mistakes they they showed in those games, they're probably already out of bowl picture at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's not like they played well. You know, it's not like they tricked us into believing this was a great football team against those bad opponents. They struggled in all of those games. Like we saw this coming to some degree. So, yeah, I mean. It's, you know, it reminds me a lot of 2015, whereas, you know, everything kind of went wrong. You had a lot of games down the stretch where you had a chance to win and nothing happened. But, of course, the biggest change is now the expectations are different. We were trying to go up the hill then. So people are like, oh, we're so close. And now people are frustrated because we were supposed to be winning yeah. these games. Is it lack of discipline an issue? They now rank 79th in the country with an average of six and a half penalties a game and against Arizona – for the second time this season, they had over 100 penalty yards assessed to them. Is that when you're listing concerns? Does it seem like there's a discipline issue? Not really. I mean, it seems like most of that came from we can't stop this dude, so we got to try something. I mean, they're <laughs> defensive holding. They're trying to get away with stuff just to make a play. Um, I, the two personal foul penalties were bad. I mean, obviously one knocked Dawkins out of the game. Uh, that wasn't even close. Like he was four yards out of bounds when he got hit there. So you got to get rid of that stuff. But overall, I think it was just we they felt like they were outmatched. And well, the offensive line almost has as many penalties at right. midway point this season as they did all of last season. Um, and it seems like they're, they're consistently putting themselves in, in bad positions. Absolutely, offensively. But I don't think that's a disciplinary issue so much as they're just not good. Like they're getting beat off the line and having to hold people just to avoid sex. Philip Lindsay is the uh, was the bright spot on Saturday. Obviously, he became the Buffs all-time all-purpose yards leader. Forty-one carries for two hundred and eighty-one yards. Uh, he now ranks second behind only Bryce Love in the conference in rushing. At this point, what can you what can you say about Philip Lindsay? Yeah, he's a stud. He needs to be getting the ball as much as possible in every single game because he gives us the best chance to win. At this point, it's pretty simple. Yeah, I mean, you can't give him 41 carries a game. Right, yeah, not 41, but, I mean, they, we probably ran it 50 times in that game between everybody else, maybe even more. And, uh, you know, a few of those can go to Montez, a few of those can go to Bisher, a few of those can go to Kyle Evans or Michael Atkins, whoever you want it to be, but you got to continue to pound the rock because it's the only thing that's working. You mentioned Bisher out there. It's not anything to write home about, but he had a career-high 32 yards on eight carries. Uh are you? Is he showing you something, Tyler? Do you, do you like him in that backup role? No, I really don't. Like everyone else is like, oh, look, he's getting four or five yards of carry. It's like, yeah, Phil's getting fifteen. What, what does that? What does that tell you? Like, I don't. It's he's he just doesn't have the explosiveness to make big plays, and he's not powerful enough to run you over in third and one when it counts. So he I just, just don't, it just doesn't seem like it. I don't understand the fit. Well, he did look a lot more comfortable running the ball on Saturday night. Will you at least give me that? Yeah. But I, I just don't – like, if he's your guy going forward, you're concerned. That's what I would say. 
I would say in defending Bishrat, he's been getting, what, one carry here, one carry there. As a running back, that's really hard to get in a rhythm. Yeah. I would just, out of curiosity, like to see what he could do if he – and you're not, it's not going to happen, obviously, as long as Philip Lindsay's healthy. But what if he did get 20 carries? Would he finally start wearing down defenses and would he kind of find his mojo, if that's the case? I mean, it's certainly possible, but I, we've seen enough of them between practice and scrimmages and games at this point. It's that it's, there's reason to be concerned about how, how we're going to replace Philip Lindsay next year. Sure, sure. Isaac Miller got the start at right tackle against Arizona, and it looks like the Buffs have finally settled on a, five, a group of five in terms of the offensive line. I talked to a couple offensive linemen this week, and they said – they admitted that it is kind of nice to have a, a sense of who's going to be there instead of the musical chairs and being, being able to build that continuity. You- yeah, I mean, I thought they were pretty brutal in the first half, honestly. There were people running all over the place, and there was a lot of penalties, again, putting us on, you know. for It seemed like we were in first and 20 the entire first quarter. Um, Gave up, uh, was it five sacks in the first half, I think? Yeah. Uh, but they, they definitely half, got a lot half, better. Yeah, second half they looked a lot better. But, I mean, you can't – five sacks and a half is a joke. Like, we – I'm not ready – everyone's like, oh, best performance of the offensive line this year. It's like, yeah, that's the problem. Like, well, we need to be a lot better than that. I mean, both halves count, so. You mentioned uh, Chris Bounds earlier in the show. Two touchdown grabs. You look at it, the previous 18 games, CU's tight ends had combined for a total of four receptions and one touchdown grab. In a two-and-a-half-minute span, he catches two touchdowns. I would like to point out that I was the conductor of the Chris Bounds hype train. So, everybody welcome aboard. He's pretty solid. They should give him the ball. He's pretty pretty athletic. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying all year I think he's going to end up being a lot better than Sean Irwin. Um, they can, can continue to use him because he actually looked pretty good in that game. And he's fine blocking, too. Like. It just at this point it hadn't made sense to me how they just don't use a tight end for six games in a row, and then he does that on two plays in it's the like, passing oh, game. They use the tight end all well, the time in the run game. Yeah. So Mike McIntyre says his team is angry. Yeah. He's he's adamant that they have not lost faith. Um, do you do you buy that at this point? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, yes, I guess I do. I don't. I don't see any reason why they would. They didn't look like they gave up to me, at least not offensively. Right. Uh, defensively, I don't know if they gave up so much as just had no chance, which is still hard to really fathom. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see how they bounce back this week. I mean, if they lose to Oregon State, you know the answer to the question. It does seem, and this is not good for us, but probably good for the team, it seems if there's any finger pointing, it's out at media or whoever is criticizing them. Uh, Philip Lindsay even uncharacteristically said, you don't guys don't have to be here if you don't want to in the post-game press conference, which usually it's just a defensive tone that you don't really hear from, from Philip ever. Um, and we've seen Mike McIntyre get a little salty at times when questions are asked that he doesn't like. Um, are you okay with that? Yeah, I mean, you're there to win games and you're competitive by nature. Like, I would be the same way in losses, especially to a game like Arizona. Um you know, they're not supposed to like losing. They're not supposed to want to talk about losing for two hours after the game. So, I'm, you know, it's just like when stress is involved in your life, people are generally not as happy or kind as they could be. Um, that's life. Everybody should know that, I think. Um, it's frustrating for you, obviously, but I understand it. Yeah. It hasn't been a fun three weeks, Tyler. Yeah. If they lose in Corvallis, I'm going out to cover that game. I might just stay in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Take a few weeks off. 
Well, you could just drive straight to Pullman. It'd be a much easier turn. <laughs> That's true. Trey Eudofia is listed as probable for this week's game against Oregon State. He did go through warm-ups in the Arizona game. That's encouraging. He had been playing pretty good football. Javier Edwards and Lyle Chuiloma are day-to-day. I think they know, but I just I think they're in season mode and they don't really want to tell anybody you know, the situation with their injuries. Usually that's bad. You, you got to get one of those guys back, though, don't you? <laughs> well, if you don't, it could be interesting. Ryan Nall's a bad man. I don't know if I want him running into three guys who weigh 240 pounds all game. Yeah, it's tough. Like, Jace Frankie doesn't deserve to be in that position, right, unless it's a passing situation. Yeah. I don't know. Who, who could you even put there, honestly? There isn't one. That's kind of the concern. You might have to go to four linemen, which is crazy to think about. But, I mean, you're going to have to get bigger somehow. So Mike McIntyre was on the hot seat going into the 2016 season, and he turns out to be the National Coach of the Year, gets an extension. Now, he's not on the hot seat, obviously, but it's almost like he's become kind of a victim of his own success a little bit in terms of right. he set certain expectations, and they're at least through three conference games, they're not living up to him. Yeah. I mean, it's, people, the overreaction, though, is still never... I like it drives me absolutely crazy. Like people saying this is the worst loss in ten years. Like we lost by three. Like do you, do I need to go through the scores that happened in the last ten years for you? Like do I really need to do that? And yeah, we have more talent than, and the expectations are different. But again, you lost by three points. Like yes, you probably should beat Arizona at home. But the guy took us to a Pac-12 championship game last year. You're going to fire him now, or are you going to replace him with? Yeah. Yeah, he the, the the criticism I don't get is people that think he's a bad coach. Like you don't build up Colorado from what it was to win ten games, win a division title if if you're not a really good coach. You can though at this point question, okay, is he the coach that can keep this sustained success and keep rebuilding? And that's that's the question that's that's out there right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I understand that, but I mean you have to be able to replace him with something better. I mean, everyone's concerned about our recruiting class right now, but I don't really understand that much either. There's a lot of talent in there. It's not, I mean, it's not as much star-studded talent as last year necessarily, but there's a lot of guys that fill gaps, and I think a few people are definitely really underrated. A lot of guys that fit our system, um, a lot of guys that he's had success with uh, going through the program this year. He knows what he's looking for, and he'll find talent. And, you know, this is a less experienced group. We wrote a huge article about that last year. What does experience mean? And talked about how Colorado is going to be pretty good this year because it follows the same track every single year. The most experienced teams in college football typically win. Um, Now, next year, we're going to have a pretty experienced group for the most part. Uh, So we'll see if that changes. I I still think next year there's a chance for this team to be pretty good. You mentioned recruiting Hassan Hippolyte joined the Buffalo's commitment list late last week in, in case you didn't see that. I talked to his coach, and he told me he was flat out shocked that Hippolyte chose CU over Houston. Houston has done a good job of recruiting in the Houston area recently, and his I think Hippolyte's girlfriend is going to U of H. Uh, so good win there by Shadown Brown on the recruiting trail. That gives the Buffs three safety commits for 2018. I think there's a lot of, a lot of negativity just in general because people are, are frustrated with the losing streak. Um, but I like this pickup for, for CU. Yeah, he fits exactly the type of – you know, he's kind of that Laguda mold, not not a longer guy in the secondary set. I think he's only 5'10 or 5'11. 5'11, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but he hits hard and you know you need a little bit of that in the Pac-12 too I think we've gotten we've gotten faster for sure we've gotten longer now you got to get some of that physicality back his coach said he's a yes so yes or no sir type kid until he gets on the field and he said he's he turns into a dog and he said a different type of breed that you don't see on the streets every day nice (laughs) Philip Lindsay on D (laughs) they could definitely use that right now uh Gary Anderson and Oregon State part ways out of left field. I mean, people were starting to get frustrated with Oregon State, obviously, up there in Corvallis, but just to quit midseason, basically, couldn't have saw that coming. And then basically turning down $12.6 million. I guess if you're walking away, it's hard to claim that you're going to get that payday, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's there's been hints of him being unhappy there from the beginning. I just think he... Uh, not really sure exactly what he was doing with that move, but I think it became pretty clear that he wasn't getting the support or the progress that he wanted and that his time was pretty yeah. short. You saw some of the, did you see the article with the text messages that he's, it was very clear he didn't like his coaching staff. I mean, that was yeah. very clear. But I mean, that's your, that's your fault. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. He hired those guys. So yeah. Gary Anderson's a good coach though. I mean, he had enough success at Utah state and Wisconsin that um, yeah, if he wants to go somewhere he's, else, he's going to be a D coordinator somewhere probably and be really really successful. Does it it seems like based on what everything we've seen that he is a little tired of running the show. Yeah, well, you could maybe even go back down to you know the Mountain West level and or the WAC yeah, and have yeah. a lot of success. Maybe. So McIntyre says Oregon State's been improving aside from the whole coaching shakeup. Uh, do you believe that? It's hard to not. I guess. I mean they. Set the bar pretty low. Got, yeah, I mean, their second halves to start the year were pretty atrocious. I mean, they got absolutely ran over by pretty much everyone they played. Um, I mean, USC probably, you know, I mean, like, they're just trying to get healthy right now. Watching that game was pretty obvious. They didn't really care to put up 70 points. Why should they? Um, so, I don't, I mean, they're not good. So, I mean, they're gone from really bad to really bad, but maybe slightly less bad. <laughs> How much do you think... If, if this does energize them in a kind of us-against-the-world type of way, how much better can that make Oregon State? If they start for, for off the first Saturday. quarter nicely, well. I mean, if they go down 14-0, the energy won't matter much. So, you know, I think you just got to remind them what they're, you know, what place they are when you get in there in that first quarter, and then you don't have to worry about it much. How concerned are you about dual-threat quarterbacks going forward, or was Khalil Tate just special? I mean, you got to be concerned about it. We've struggled with it in the past. Um, the 3-4 alignment for us, someone mentioned it on the boards, and I actually really agree with this. Having those undersized 3-4 guys, it's just you, you, you can't set the edge. Ryan Muller as your edge setter is unfair. Like You're just asking him to – he's getting run at by 350-pound guys. What's he supposed to do there? I mean, they have to figure out something. Good news here, Tyler. 24-7 Sports is partnering with Pro Football Focus. Um, they obviously break down film of basically every Division One football player, I believe, mm-hmm. play by play. I don't know how big their staff is to do that. That's crazy that, that they're able to do that, that they have those resources. But um, it's, it's gained in popularity the last few years, that analytic stuff. And it's going to be cool to be able to, to share some of that content with our subscribers. Yeah, it's interesting math. I mean, I agree with some of it a lot. Uh, I don't agree with some of it, too, just like everything else, you know. But uh, it, it shows you football from a different perspective. And I think really high, what it really does is highlights what people are doing outside of the actual play. 
So you always see, okay, this guy made the tackle, right? But what's going on on the other side of the field? Is he doing what he's supposed to? Uh, so from if I was a coach, I would love it because you're getting a lot of information that's hard to watch on film. Yeah. Um, but as a fan, it's a little bit confusing, I think, for a lot of people. But if you combine all the information together, I think you end up with a pretty good expectation for what a guy's doing on the field. They haven't told us exactly what this partnership is going to entail in terms of our team sites, but I'd love to be able to every Monday put up an article and you can kind of at least get their take on exactly right. what each player did in the, in the mm-hmm. previous game. That would be awesome. You know buffstampede.com is where to go for CU football, basketball, and recruiting coverage. And you should also know about Gorman Recruiting. They specialize in the unique needs of small and medium businesses. Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at www.gormanrecruiting.com. I just said www. I haven't done that. This You don't do that anymore, do you? You did it in the second one last time. Too. I did? Yeah. Okay. I remember, the, I remember the period when you there was like arguments about whether or not you had to do it, and I would just get really mad at people that still use www. Did, did you want to punch me right then? No, because <laughs> it happened so long ago. But there used to be people who were like, no, you have to use it. What? Otherwise, it doesn't work. I was like, just do it, and you can see that you're wrong. <laughs> I remember when it was going to be the .tv was going to be the next craze, too? Yeah. It sounds kind of lame. .biz. Dot biz, is that the new thing? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a new thing, but people are doing it for a while for business pages and stuff. Let's jump into the Buff Stampede Radio mailbag. We didn't get as many questions this week. I think some people are just getting kind of frustrated out there. M. Valine asked, what do the insiders see going on? Was this expected at all? The team seems to be missing something. Maybe they are experiencing the dreaded hangover. Well, we kind of shared our thoughts a little bit earlier Uh he poses an interesting question, though. Do you think there's a hangover effect? There can be. I mean, you know, we'll talk, bring up Jake Spiro right here. People were pissed off that he said the team didn't look as hungry as in years past. People didn't really like that. And I would say, by and large, that looks pretty accurate right now. Maybe the team is feeling themselves a little bit. Didn't realize that you still got to work every single year. Um, I personally yeah. think the hangover happened. Uh, in, in the in the bowl, game. right? I agree, and in the Pac-12 championship game as well. Like, yeah, obviously, they a got little bit, but they they could work competitive yeah. in the first half of that right. game. Yeah, in the bowl game, you we had heard that they didn't really care to be there, and it became they cared to be cool. there. They didn't. I don't think took it as a business trip the way that Oklahoma State did. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's a fair way to put it as well. But yeah, I mean, we kind of saw it coming a little bit, right? I mean, you knew both were kind of in that seven-win range, and everybody called us crazy and said this is an eight- or nine-win team at least. So we were more reserved, I think, than most. You know, they've been more disappointing than I expected so far for sure, but I definitely didn't see the big success that a lot of other people did. Yeah, and you look at it, the first five weeks, this defense reloads, and they're number 22 in the country in scoring defense. That's not a group that is, is going through a hangover. And offensively, some of their struggles might have been they were almost pressing at times. Yeah. So again, which really again isn't a hangover. Montez has got to get control of the deep ball. I mean, you hit two of those, and the game is completely different, you know, um, in multiple games. And, you know, they finally got the running game going. But, and the offensive line has been a disaster against all expectations. I mean, that's a good way for your team to be more disappointing than you expect. Dorn09 asked, is it time to play the young guys in more prominent roles? Fisca, Nixon, Sparaco, Collier, and Landon? 
And at jbenny83 on Twitter also asked, why has the amount of playing time for Spiraco and Collier diminished so much as the year has gone along? Well, with Collier specifically, his deficiency is in uh, run support, which you saw in that one play in the UCLA game where he got completely blocked downfield. So against Arizona, he wasn't going to play for that reason. Right, yeah, not much opportunity to rush the passer against Arizona, so that makes sense. I know I'm biased for Sparaco, but I think it's crazy that he hasn't played as as much, especially given we've had trouble setting the edge and we need a bigger body out there. seems to me like he would be perfect for that role. They have to get some bigger guys in the field, especially on third and short. I mean, they're literally just running at the off tackle and getting eight yards on every single play. So you got to try something there, and he seems to fit that role for me. I'd like to see what he's got. Obviously, he's a young guy, not as strong as you would like to see, but I mean, at the end of the day, Ryan Moeller is 180 pounds. Yeah. Tough guy, does a lot of things really well, but that's just that you can't continue to put him in that position and expect success. With Nate Lamman, he's just not going to play over Rick Gamboa. Right, and, and Drew I mean, Lewis right Yeah, now. Lewis had a rough game last week, but up until this point, the linebackers inside especially have been pretty good, so I don't know why you would need to play Landman. I would thought they would take another big shot with Visca after he had the big game against UCLA. Yeah. I was a little surprised by that. It seems like Mac is pressing, and he's like, oh, we got to win games, can't play the young guys, but you got to do something creative on offense, yeah. and that's how you do it with KD and Visca. I mean, they did score 42 points. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know. There's concern that they're getting a little frustrated by their lack of role. I mean, it would be pretty brutal to lose one of those guys. So, The, the overall sentiment here, though, is is get these young guys reps. You, you still have a bowl game to, to play for. I don't right, think you yeah. want to go with that mentality. Once, yeah, once that becomes no longer a possibility, you're going to see that happen, I would expect. Um, it's just so, I mean, I don't know what you're going to ask McIntyre to do because it's not like consistently these things are going wrong, you know, defensively, offensively. It would be so much easier to peg this team if, okay, you know, against Arizona, the defense played well and they lost like 21-14, something like that. Be like, okay, this is we're, we're having a problem on offense. This is where we need to make changes. But it's like, of course, the one time the offense finally gives you what you want, the defense completely no-shows. Yeah. Andrew S. Buff asked, which player is exceeding your expectations? Who's doing what you thought they would? Who's your biggest disappointment? We got a similar question um, not too long ago. I mean, disappointment has to be Aaron Hagler, not to pick on the kid, but I thought maybe he would be a potential all-conference guy, and now he's not a, a starter on your offense. Yeah, any of the linemen have been pretty rough, for sure. Um, disappointing for me, man. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, I guess there's not really one that really... Well, the receivers like Shea, Shea Fields yeah. would probably be mine. He was open a few times there against yeah, but it's, deep. He's really only flashing two or three times... Game, though like it shouldn't just be all oh, he gets one catch for 70 yards you're right I mean he was open but I mean he also didn't give a great effort on one of them either so in terms of biggest surprise is that Drew Lewis still or do you have somebody uh, else I mean I had him pretty highly ranked and then I kind of felt bad about it for a little bit there he's been pretty good overall um so yeah I mean I like the Isaiah Oliver's I would say I think Trey Udofia for me is probably okay. the number one and Stefano, I think you still put him in that group. I mean, he missed a 50-yarder, but call me Coach B asked, which D-line prospects do you think we have the best chance of flipping? It's becoming more and more apparent that defensive line recruiting is what will hold this team back, and yeah. I'm curious if it'll get fixed. Any staff members on notice as of now? Thanks for the effort you guys put into this. You're welcome. Call me Coach B. Uh, 
Yeah, th- these haven't been fun podcasts the last few weeks. No, I mean, I agree, though. Defensive line is the number one, I think, focus for how this team moves going forward. You can't continue to have solid defenses with undersized guys who don't get to the passer. Jimmy Gilbert, undersized guy, but he gets to the passer. This group is undersized and doesn't get to the passer. That's not great. you got to have more big Pac-12 ready bodies on the D-line if you want to be successful long-term. And I think the same could be said for the O-line as well. I think we have guys in the, in the pipeline there already to get there. The D-line recruiting, though, is definitely a concern for me. Yeah. It certainly helps to be able to pull in some junior college guys, but we've seen with Javier Edwards, as highly recruited as he was, there still is an adjustment from JUCO to Pac-12. And then you only have them in most cases for two years. Leo Jackson being an exception, he came in with three years. Um, it's tough to continually reload with JUCOs and expect to have a great defense. Yeah, at some point you've got to recruit some high school kids that turn out to be good. And it's, I mean, I, it's been a while since we've had a high school guy that was really like, wow, that kid. Well, Terrence Lang Josh, has a chance to be that. Yeah, I mean, Josh Tupo ended up being pretty good for us, but there was a battle along the way. Samson Kafabalu, maybe, I mean, if that's the next guy that comes up, that's not great. He asked about which D-line prospects they have a chance of flipping. Uh, Calvin Avery is an Illinois commit that said he plans to take an official visit to Boulder. Dominic Livingston is a Texas A&M commit that was in Boulder the weekend of the Washington game as an official visitor. And then Israel Antwine, he's a former Ole Miss commit uh, that's back on the market now. He's got some options, Oklahoma State, Texas. He was in Boulder last weekend. So those are the three guys, if you could – Somehow get a couple of them, that would be pretty huge. Reed J asked, which current commits are you most worried about see you losing to other programs? Uh, and right now I would say Walker Culver. He's yeah. getting a lot of SEC offers. And when I asked him recently if he plans to take other visits, he said he hadn't really decided. I got, I mean, reading between, between the lines when they say that, that usually means they're going to take some trips. Yeah. Um, and then Deion Smith was actually there. One of the running back commits was out at Utah last week. Have not been able to track him down to kind of get his thoughts on that. So we don't quite know how strongly he's considering them. Those would be the top two that I'd be worried about. Yeah, that would be a bummer too because he's part of the reason that we lost Max Borgie. So uh, it would be a bummer to end up losing one of those guys. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, those are the two that stand out to me. They're, we're going to get some people coming after us if we don't start playing better. <laughs> There's no doubt. So, Yeah. Deion Smith is averaging 10 yards a carry this year, yeah. too. His film looks pretty good. It makes me wonder about all these big kid schools coming after our kids, why everyone thinks our class sucks, though. <laughs> Buff AZ asked, are all fan bases as bipolar as the CU fanatics on this site? God, I hope not. <laughs> I, I give fans a pass. You know, the night of the game, it gets a little out of hand sometimes, but I, it's kind of like almost like you need that therapy to kind of get it off your chest. Right. Uh, fan is short for fanatic, so, I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I've haven't. i been covering CU for 15 years. It's been a while since I've covered any other team, so it's hard for me to compare. I don't know. I just It's always it's a very interesting life for me, being – too much of a negative Nancy or laughing at everyone for the sky is falling. Like I'm, I'm pretty close to the middle more often than not. And just watching everybody else flip flop behind me, like, Oh, this guy's a crazy sunshine pumper. And now he's, you know, this is the worst program in history. We have no good players. It's like, what? you were over here. Now you're over here. I just can't keep up. 
Well, I love every fan that listens to this podcast, of course, and everybody that subscribes to Bull. 99% of people that subscribe to BuffStampede.com, there's like 1%. And it's like, there. it's every losing season, there's this one internet troll that pops up that clearly takes enjoyment in CU's having struggles. That I don't get. Like, I don't know how you can be a fan of a team and, and want to be, you have an agenda, you don't like the coach, and you actually like root against them. It's like, you maybe want to go find a different hobby if that's the situation. I just don't understand how, like, we had multiple people on the board be like, this is it for me. Like, we just watched one of the greatest seasons in CU history, and halfway through the season after that, you're giving up because they lost to Arizona at home. Like, the lot, it's been so much worse than this. Like, I don't understand how you made it through the 10 years previous to last year, and then this is your breaking point. Like, I don't, it just doesn't. I don't understand it. If Khalil Tate rushes for 400 yards against UCLA this Saturday, how much better will that make you feel about CU last Saturday? I mean, a lot better, but... Uh, see, this is a rough game because everyone's going to be like, look, UCLA sucks. No, look, Arizona sucks, no matter which way this game goes. So I just... I don't know. I guess I'm rooting for Arizona because I don't like UCLA. I don't like Arizona either, though. <laughs> well, Khalil Tate, not to keep harping on him, but he... I think he's going to save Rich Rodriguez's job there in Tucson. I mean, what? I, I don't even know. How, how old is he? He's a sophomore. Okay. Or he's he's only in his second year there. Okay. He had Florida State, USC, UCLA offers out of high school. He was a blue chip guy. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, he lost some weight, so it makes him look a little bit, makes him basically look like a miniature Michael Vick up there. Dude, he was fast. That's all I'll say. Like, I was just like, wow, that dude is really cruising. <laughs> That, that's what 4-3 looks like, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Tyler, do you have your updated Pac-12 power rankings? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of changes, honestly. This, it fell really into, into shape here this week. So Oregon State's last again, obviously. Uh, I have Colorado 11th this week. It was really a battle between California and Colorado for 11th. It's pretty simple. They both are 0-3 in conference play. Cal's got a better non-conference win than us, though. In fact, they have two better non-conference. Well, North Carolina's pretty bad. CSU's probably better than them. So one for sure. We'll say that. Um, so I have California 10th. And it kind of just goes right into alignment from here. So I have Oregon 9, who lost to Arizona State, who's 8. And then I have Arizona 7. UCLA 6, uh, Utah 5, Stanford 4, USC 3, Washington State 2, and Washington 1. So all teams who have lost to each other basically in order there. So it's kind of interesting. So Oregon beat Cal but lost Arizona State. So they slide right in between those two. Pretty simple. They have a lot of injury issues right now. Arizona State honestly beat Oregon. They've lost to Stanford in a fairly close game. They've been on bye, so they could even be higher here um, if I really wanted to, I suppose. Arizona obviously... Pretty tough game against Utah, 30-24. to 24. That was a closer game than people thought and go on the road and beat us. Um, UCLA, again, beat us. Uh, they've been improved, I guess you could say, over the past few weeks. They definitely seem to be headed in the right direction. Utah, um, they're right behind Stanford in the rankings for me. Just lost to Stanford in a fairly close game. Uh, Stanford is just... Uh, behind USC, who they obviously lost to USC. USC just behind Washington State, who lost to Washington State. <laughs> and then Washington is the best team in the conference. So it actually it was, like, really easy this week. It's like, huh, all these teams go right in a row, done and done. But it's a rough group overall, I would say. Not a great year for the Pac-12. Obviously, if you're a Colorado fan, you want to win in Pullman. But aside from that, 
are, are you rooting for both Washington schools to go keep going undefeated so that Apple Cup game uh, would basically kind of put C, uh, the Pac-12 in a position to have a college football playoff team? No, because I have pretty substantial futures on Washington making the Pac-12 championship game. So the easier, the better for me. <laughs> All mean, right, sure if they If they play each other in the last game of the year, obviously I can hedge against that and still make money if they're both, you know, whoever wins that game goes. But it would be nice if Washington had it locked up. Okay. And I just don't think Washington State's that good. I'm not buying it. I think they're fine. They play at Stanford at home, though, which is nice for them. Yeah. Should we talk a little hoops before we sign off? Sure. There was an interesting question about the lack of star power on this roster from the redshirt freshmen up to the senior classes raised by Louisville Buff. Can you still – can you lack star power and, and still win in college basketball? Uh, what's your definition of win? Uh, I guess with this group, get in the NIT tournament. Yeah. You could get to the NIT. You could be above 500 and make some noise a little bit without star power. You're not making the tournament, though. Pretty much guarantee you that. Not unless you're absolutely elite defensively. Well, going to these practices, this is a super deep team in terms of guys that can be rotation guys. But to his point, I mean, aside, George King's clearly the best player. He's The few practices I've been to, he, that he clearly stands out as just being the most comfortable out there on the court. And his team is usually doing the best overall. Um, but there, there are definitely uh, reasons for optimism with that freshman class, of course. Lucas Seward, again, is shooting the ball really well this preseason. Um, and did, did he see enough of those falling towards the end of last year, you think, that he can – Maybe not have that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's ever a guy who's going to average 15 a game for you or anything like that, but he can be a big-time contributor. He was honestly better. over His overall game was better than I expected last year. Decent rebounder defensively. Looked almost competent in the post. Like, obviously, he got beat from time to time, but we thought that was going to be a real struggle for him there. And he, his body, his frame was a lot more impressive, I thought, compared to other Pac-12 guys than I was expecting in year one. So that was all really encouraging for me. Now, he shot the ball terribly, which was a surprise. But you can get that back, and that's a comfort thing, and I think he'll get there. Um, so by and large, I think he's going to be pretty good. I mean, this is why there was a lot of concern about Tad Boyle's future at Colorado going before this recruiting class, though, because there wasn't a whole lot there. You could start to see the signs like, wow, there's not a whole lot of talent on this team moving forward. How is he going to save himself? But I really think this class did it for him. I, I really think that he... This is not going to be a great year for CU, but we all kind of knew that going in. But I think moving forward, you have to feel pretty good about where this team can take it. Lazar Nikolic is made his way to campus. Uh, I think I might, might have mentioned on the last show, he's got a big body, obviously, for, for a guard. Good skills. That's encouraging from the standpoint that this is going to be a player in their system. He might even be a redshirt candidate this year, but we're starting to get a little bit worried with their European recruiting, right? Yeah. I mean... They had had some misses there, so I think it's been encouraging a little bit. You've seen he's obviously basically drowning at this point because he is just getting adjusted to everything, but right. the skill set is there. I think he's going to be a guy that can be part of the rotation and uh, be a, a positive member of this basketball team. I'm going to throw out one thing here that might concern some people, but I don't think it should. Don't be surprised if Josh Repine actually plays meaningful minutes this, this season. He's a senior walk-on. Um, he consistently makes plays in practice. That'd be fun. I mean, it's kind of, it's going to be such an interesting year because I don't expect them to be very good, but I'm kind of looking forward to the year because I think it's going to be a ton of fun. 
Um, you get to see a bunch of new faces, guys progress. It's going to be a young group. And I think it's almost refreshing to see some of these guys gone from last year's group and a few of these guys who are going to be seniors, you know, get through the program. Like, not to, like, hate on those kids or anything, but I was pretty tired of a few of them and their attitudes at times. And it'll, it's, it'll be interesting to see if we can change the culture around yeah. Cat Boyle and this team. XJ is not a bad person. No, I wasn't even. That's not even who I was talking about. Okay. Honestly. That's that's who comes to mind for me. But his body language and just in practice, it, it just was such a turnoff. This year's group, um, and again, you don't want to overanalyze all this stuff, but they're paying attention to Tad Boyle when he speaks. And part of that is there's a lot of new guys that haven't heard Tad Boyle you know, speak and say the right. same thing over and over again. So it's, it's newer to them. But... Yeah, I just the energy with XJ and West. You just can't have that in your seniors within the locker room. And those guys right. liked each other last year. It wasn't that they didn't like each other. Yeah. But yeah, it's it. It's almost just like it seemed like you know XJ came back and that was big for our chances to be good last year. But you could almost tell he didn't really want to be there. You know, which never makes it good. And West always looks like he never wants to be anywhere. So <laughs> um, you know, you can never get a read on him. So we're officially within a month of the bus opener against Northern Colorado. We got to get you up to some practices, Tyler. I yeah. had a chance to interview Tyler Bay. You know, it was interesting. He kind of opened up a little bit about he, he really he felt kind of embarrassed that he didn't qualify initially and had to go the prep route. And props to him, he was the uh, student athlete of the of the month in the department. Um, Tad Boyle says it's still going to be a constant struggle for him. I mean, they have the academic support there, and once you get into the season, it's more difficult. But was, it's pretty cool to see him. You know, talk about just how he, he really is uh, putting in the effort academically now. And I know he is arguably your favorite in, in that freshman group. Yeah, I, you know, I obviously have to see more of all the guys. But he definitely fits the mold of kids I usually fall in love with on the court. You know, kids that really enjoy watching play. So I asked him, hey, have you gotten the Andre Robertson comparisons yet? And he said yes. And he actually is embracing that. And Tad Wolf, you know, a lot of coaches hate, <laughs> hate comparisons. But he said, no, I'm throwing that comparison in his face. Because I think he can be Tyler, that good. He should embrace it. Andre, Andre's having a pretty good career in the NBA. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think Tyler Bay, he's rough around the edges offensively, but I think he's obviously got a higher ceiling on that end of the court. Yeah. I mean, he's, from what I've seen, already bigger. So, I mean, that's nice. Uh, that obviously helps as well. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. Once again, today's podcast was brought to you by Gorman Recruiting. They specialize in the unique needs of small and medium businesses Gorman Recruiting is dedicated to removing the stress of the hiring process. When you're hiring key management, sales, or administration, Gorman Recruiting should be your first call. Learn more at gormanrecruiting.com. Got to eat. All right. Well, I'm going to be heading out to Corvallis. Uh, are, you, are you working in the game on Saturday, Tyler? I don't know yet. I'll find out today, but probably, yeah. The 2 p.m., 1 p.m., uh, 2 p.m. Mountain, 1 p.m. Pacific kickoff. I'm pretty excited about that. I'm too old for these games. these late games. <laughs> Even I take a nap and I'm still like worn out the next day. Arizona was only six. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it was more kind of the knowing that I was going to have to deal with another losing situation with my interviews and on the side yeah. all week that maybe kind of late. Not yet. Yeah, we definitely had plans to stay in Boulder for the night and go partying, but that did not happen. We all left pretty quickly after the game. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back. Win or lose next week.